This is episode 55 of the Magic Detective podcast. On this episode, you'll hear about the life of her cat. That and more on this episode of the Magic Detective podcast. Hello and welcome to the Magic Detective Podcast, your podcast home for magic history. I'm your host, Dean Carnegie. I am the Magic Detective, and this is episode 55. Well, 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 here we are again. (laughs) I have been absent from the podcast for several weeks. Sorry about that, but um, I don't have a... There's no shortage of things to talk about, so that's good. In fact... If you're part of my Magic Detective Facebook group page, you'll notice I mentioned a change in the podcast coming up. Uh, This won't be a regular thing, but uh, maybe once a month, maybe. And that is the introduction of interviews. And the first one will be on Al Flosso. Um... I will be interviewing the author of the book, The Coney Island Faker, The Magical Life of Al Flosso by Gary Brown. And I should say, Gary gets all the credit for this push forward. He's asked me numerous times, and I've always been reluctant about the whole interview process because I kind of like the format that I already had. And pretty much everyone else that does podcasts, well, basically everybody else does interviews. I'm the only one that doesn't. But... I thought, you know, maybe now's the time to, and I had planned on doing this from the beginning interviews, but maybe now's the time to do it. If you're wondering what the change of heart was, well, it's a little uh, program called Zoom that, uh, quite frankly, I've been using to do shows with and uh, since March, actually. And it's going to be the perfect format to record the interviews and then get the audio from it and put it on the podcast. So, yay! Interviews will be coming to the Magic Detective podcast. Now, I have to ask you this question. I wrote this down weeks ago, and my apologies, but how did you guys do on the uh, the past few auctions? Um, I know there was a Potter and Potter auction that had some Doug Henning costumes in it, and I was determined, determined to win one of those costumes. In fact, I had sat here in front of the computer watching and watching diligently, and then my phone rang at one point. It was a friend of mine, and he called me just in time for me to completely miss the Henning lot. (laughs) Oh, well, I guess I wasn't meant to have them. It happens. Um, And then there was the um, Haversat and Ewing auction. There was a couple things I was looking for there, but again, I missed those as well. I'm curious how many of you out there have been listening and watching the Magic Collector's Corner, which is phenomenal. I just have to give them yet another plug. Um, Boy, they have had so many great episodes. I haven't seen all of them, but the one on Doug Henning was stellar. The one on Ricciardi, holy moly, was that good. Uh, Apparently recently, uh, yours truly, the Magic Detective, uh, won one of the contests. And Lance Rich contacted me to let me know that I won one of the contests, and I was very excited by that because I apparently did not listen to the episode where they announced that I won 
something. So I got this great package in the mail. The, um, the books were provided by James Hagee, so thank you very much also for the books. And, um, and then I went back to listen to which, uh, which contest I won. And I was a little surprised because they announced the podcast. It was the one with all the different sawing and halves, and you had to match up who went with who, and um, or who with went with what. And um, they announced the winner as someone other than me. And I thought, well, wait a minute, was there a mistake? Do I have to send this back? And then David Sandy says, "Oh, and we also have a participation trophy, and that goes to." Dean Carnegie. Oh, and he also got all the questions right. So <laughs> I won a participation trophy. Really? Oh. <laughs> I'm still appreciative. I'm still grateful. But a participation trophy? Come on. Come on. All right. I'm going to win this again on my merits, not on the fact that I participated. But I love the Magic Collector's Corner. And if you don't, uh, if you don't watch it on Sunday nights, you are really missing out. Oh, and by the way, it's an award, not a trophy. My mistake. Oh, and another bit of news. The podcast, the Magic Detective podcast, is now on Pandora. Uh, most podcasting places already have my podcast on it. This was the only one, Pandora was the only one that I was not on. I had to apply to be on Pandora, and then it took them six months to approve me. Yeah, your guess is as good as mine. It, but it's still nice to be carried by another carrier. Um, oh, and Apple iTunes, which I often mention. Um, I noticed recently I picked up a few more five-star likes and a five-star review, so thank you very much for that. Listen to this one. The headline reads, Fascinating, Entertaining, and Illuminating. And the review reads, I'm a layman where magic's concerned, but I do love to be fooled and I love entertainment biography and history. Dean Carnegie's a professional magician whose passion for the past is infectious in these well-written, thoughtful episodes. Mostly about 30 minutes each, they're addictive. Try just one on Houdini, for instance, and you'll be hooked. And that review comes from Kovaxian, and I thank you for that very kind review. So today I'm covering another one of these old-time forgotten masters that I love so well, and I honestly didn't know anything about this guy. His name would come up from time to time in various, um, you know, various things I was researching, but I was like, I don't, know, I don't know who this guy is. So I decided to go ahead and check him out and venture down the rabbit hole to find out exactly who he was. And I think you're going to be surprised. So here we go. Her cat was born R.D. Chatter in England in 1843. He came from a prominent British naval family. In fact, he was a midshipman in the Royal Navy, but an injury in active service caused him to end his career at sea. The year wasn't given, but it was earlier than 1870. After his military service, he left for Australia. There was a gold rush going on there, and like many of that period, he was drawn to the adventure. Now, I'm not sure how well the gold rush turned out for Mr. Chatter, but the historical record said he soon became a journalist, likely reporting on other people's gold claims, I'm guessing. And from there, he ventured into acting. 
and the dramatic arts eventually gave way to magic. Now, from Edwin Dawes column, A Rich Cabinet of Magical Curiosities, I discovered that Chatter had an existing hobby of magic. The line says, Eventually, his hobby of conjuring claimed him and he turned to professional magic, performing many years in America. Now, if I might backtrack further, when he was 10 years old, he saw a conjurer in Belgium whose performance made a deep impression on him. He wrote, Before a week had elapsed, I resolved to become a conjurer. It never occurred to me that there were others who might have something to say on the subject. However, on my return home for the midsummer vacation, I saw the boy's holiday book advertised, which said that it contained inside instructions in sleight of hand. I at once dispatched half a crown to London, and the book was sent to me. I soon learned all the tricks it contained, which were most primitive, excepting some of the card slights which puzzled me. I worked at the pass according to the instructions given, for weeks without success, and no wonder, for when I finally did the pass, I discovered the original instructions to be amusingly inaccurate. Now, if I might pause a minute, if you notice the label of today's podcast, it says, Episode 55, Hercat, the Eminent American Illusionist. And yet, I stated he was born in England in 1843. Indeed, (laughs) because early in his career, he billed himself as an American and apparently even adopted an American accent, likely picked it up during his time performing in America. This is an interesting fellow. In 1888, by arrangement of John Neville Maskelyne, her cat appeared at Egyptian Hall with his mystery of she. In 1903, her cat publishes a book called Latest Slights, Illusions, Mind Reading, and New Card Tricks. It was his second book published. The great Stanley Collins of England recalls seeing Hercat at a performance. Apparently at this performance, Hercat was to use a Union Jack flag, placed it into a, uh, a pistol, and have it appear on top of one of two modeled forts, which represented military bases. A boy was asked to select one, and he apparently chose the wrong one for all Hercat could do was misname the chosen fort in order for his feeble trick to work. Feeble being Stanley Collins' description. Now, when I read this, (laughs) fear suddenly overwhelmed me that I was working on a podcast for a magical buffoon. Let's be honest, not everybody in the history of magic was great. And suddenly I thought, I maybe found... (laughs) One of the not greats, but I'm continuing. This comes from Collins' column called Inconsequentialties in the Linking Ring. He writes, The new gallery made a good start with the magician Hercat's varied performances. Hercat performs some exceedingly clever tricks of sleight of hand, and he is quick with his tongue as he is with his fingers. He not only does but always says clever things, and his native humor, which is of undeniable American origin, is exuberantly manifested in the ventriloquial sketch that follows the first part of the performance. Some extraordinary illusions are introduced. It is no part of our business to solve her cat's mysteries. We wouldn't if we could. It is enough to say that he works wonders with the ghosts that are supposed to haunt the house of the poor young nobleman. 
a pipe is snatched from the unhappy fellow's mouth by a hand unconnected to any visible body, and the specter of a general in his habit as he lived appears and vanishes in a most amazing fashion. Now, that was not written by Stanley Collins. That was from a newspaper article that he was quoting. Twice now I have mentioned his illusion called She. This was an unusual cremation-style illusion um, where a person burns up in flames. He invented the illusion in 1886. He called it She or the Mystery of She and was inspired by a novel from that time which was titled She by H. Writer Haggard. Hercat does also point out his illusion was pirated, stolen, sneaked, and uses some other words um, to basically say other performers stole my trick and my patter. One such person he claimed stole it was Frederick Eugene Powell, who was also doing an identical routine, which amazingly was titled She. Powell also claimed to have invented it. Here, in Hercat's own words from his book, Latest Slights, Illusions, Mind Reading, and New Card Tricks, is the description of the illusion she. My invention was as follows. A platform about six feet square, standing on two legs, about two feet high, was placed on the stage, at the back and sides of which stood solid red leather screens to show that there were no bridges from the back scene. A pole was thrust under the platform to prove the non-existence of mirrors. A brass frame, consisting of four uprights, six feet high, was erected in the center of the platform, and over this was thrown a handsome Indian canopy, which had previously been examined, and under it was placed an imitation of the bowl referred to in the novel bearing Greek lettering. In my patter, I referred to Ryder Haggard's story and told my audience that having ascertained its details were true, I had at great expense sent to the plains of Kor and obtained the ashes of the cremated lady. A salver coating of ashes was brought on by an attendant and emptied into the bowl. Fire was applied. They ignited and burst into flames, out of which rose from the bowl a young lady attired to correspond in every detail with the costume of Aisha. She stepped out onto the platform, and after inquiring in vain, she elected to return to ashes. She stepped back into the bowl, fire was applied, and she disappeared in the flame of life. The illusion was heralded as a great success by the press, with one fatal exception of the Pall Mall Gazette on October 11, 1886. The reporter that day must have caught her cat on a bad day. I would surmise something was also set wrong in the prop. Uh, needless to say, the reporter on hand could see everything, as in all the secret action that the audience is supposed to be unaware of. In this particular case, uh, the reporter saw everything, and he took it upon himself to write it up and completely expose it in his newspaper. Adding insult to injury, I also discovered in the pages of the Magic Circular, Volume 104, Number 1122, a piece about Decolta's vanishing lady, and they were naming the first three magicians to steal the illusion the third person to steal the Vanishing Lady illusion was apparently her cat. 
<laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. Here we go. Um, now we come to the blue room. The blue room. I can you. I I know it seems like a jump. Just bear with me. The blue room was an incredible mystery that was the joint creation of Henry Dirks, John Henry Pepper, and James Walker. The illusion was called metempsychosis and was really the creation of Pepper and Walker, having started with the concept by Dirks. At one time, Hercat presented this illusion in England, and I'm going to assume that he presented it legally, because it's quite the contraption, and I don't think it's something that you're going to be able to just, you know, come up with on your own, or maybe I'm wrong about that. It was during Hercat's run that none other than Harry Keller came to town looking for new material, as he was wont to do. He actually offered to buy it from Hercat, but the man declined. It was not his to sell. After all, Hercat would speak of the illusion as probably the greatest mystery ever created, but again, he was not the inventor. Though, if it not, were not for Hercat, Keller likely would not have seen it and, well, stolen it. <laughs> began to perform it in America. Uh, and Keller, by the way, was the one who gave it the name The Blue Room. So maybe I'm wrong about being able to come up with it on your own. I Who knows? Um, in the pages of The Magician's Monthly by Will Goldston, we find this obituary. It is with very sincere regret that we record the death of a distinguished magician, British magician whose name has for long ranked as high as that of a performer and as also a writer of books on magic, the name R.D. Hercat. The man is dead, but his memory will not die for many years to come. He gave his best to magic, and magic is the richer for his work. For a long while, he was a popular society entertainer and must have made a big income. But during recent years, he was subject to epileptic fits and was otherwise in ill health. Consequently, he was able to do very little performing work. Up to the end, however, he kept a brave face to the world. Her cat was a member of an old English family and was a true type of English gentleman. In his prosperous days, he aided many struggling magicians. He was a friend to his fellow workers in every possible way, and they will mourn him as a friend and as a knight of magic without fear and without reproach. In the book Tricks That Mystify by Will Goldston, we find another interesting bio of Hercat, which mentions his manner and style were refined and extreme. He affected a monocle and spoke in a very aristocratic tone. Compare this to the earlier descriptions of Hercat when he actually claimed he was an American and spoke like that. Probably one of the few to adopt an American persona. One major slip-up in this bio, though, uh, was when Goldston credits Hercat with the creation of the Blue Room, which, as I previously explained, he performed but did not invent. One final word from Stanley Collins, found in the pages of the Magic Circular in 1977. A letter from Collins to John Braun in 1957 reads, Hercat. I saw on several occasions and can tell you he was about as bad a conjurer could be. His patter was banal, his tricks were always clumsily handled, and his so-called ventriloquism was just a travesty. However, 
he managed to gain a little reputation that he did as one of life's mysteries. Ooh, tough call and not my place to judge. Uh, what am I talking about? I'm going to do it anyway. Um, <laughs> I, In my opinion, I'm going to say that her cat was more than likely an adequate to good performer, but his epileptic fits began to break down his ability to perform. Um, this could be the cause of what Collins often referred to as his clumsily handling of props. He certainly performed metapsychosis well enough for Keller to want it, and many of the newspapers of the day described performances that audiences really enjoyed. And after all, as a performer, it's the audiences who kind of get the, the, the last word. So I would say that, uh, judging by that, her cat was probably okay. Maybe not quite one of the greats, but maybe a near great. R.D. Chatter, who was known as Hercat, died in 1913 in London, England. And there you go. Oh, by the way, Hercat, where does that name come from? You're like, it's actually his name, Chatter, the letters uh, mixed up, and that's how you get Hercat. Well, my friends, that's going to do it for Hercat. Oh, by the way, I, let me just mention this really quick. This has nothing to do with magic history, but um, I'm going to be doing a Facebook Live on my, um, on my Facebook profile page about some technology that I recently got introduced to that I think will be very helpful for uh, entertainers or anybody making money from magic. Uh, it's a really cool um, package of technology that... Um, uh, solves a lot of digital issues that we have in the 21st century. I'll probably put that up. Um, I'm going to put that on my Facebook profile, but I may even put it up on the Magic Detective uh, group page so you can hear it. Just ignore it if you don't have a business related to magic, but if you do, you might find it very interesting and helpful. So that's just a little plug for that. And now I hope you enjoyed this unusual addition to the Magic Detective podcast. If you did, please be sure to like, comment, and or share the podcast with others. The next episode will have the first ever interview, hopefully. Until then, thanks for listening to the Magic Detective podcast. I'm Dean Carnegie. I am the Magic Detective. Be well and be safe.